Drew Balper and the T1 of Brass. My name is Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a prospect analyst for Fangraphs and also the author of our uh, organizational prospect series that is currently uh, being released at Fangraphs. His name is Mark Hewlett. As I mentioned, uh, uh, Mark Hewlett has been, uh, in, and now, uh, in fact, for four years, has been um, releasing these organizational prospect lists. As I speak, on Friday, January 11th, he has uh, he has submitted at least 14, 14 or perhaps 15 uh, for the public's consideration in what follows. Mark and I discuss, uh, well, not, in fact, every one of those lists because that would be uh, what they call a Herculean effort. Uh, we do not discuss all of those lists, uh, but we discuss um, what Hewlett has or has maybe not learned um, through his time in, in producing these lists. And also we look at uh, three players in particular. Uh, that is 30-year-old uh, or soon-to-be 30-year-old relief pitcher for the Brewers, Jim Henderson. Uh, we look at Bruce Rondone. Uh, a younger 20, 21 or 22 year old uh, relief prospect for the Detroit Tigers, and finally uh, the middle infielder for the Baltimore Orioles prospect Jonathan Scoop or Shoop. It's either Scoop or Shoop, depending on uh, to what degree you care for um, mid 90s R&B band or I guess hip hop group uh, Salt and Pepper. Anyway, uh, so it is Mark Hewlett. It is also Fangraphs Audio, and it begins right now. This is the fourth year of uh, our uh, organizational prospect list. I believe you're correct that it's the fourth year. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you have been uh, composing those lists and submitting them for the public's consideration, uh, I think now for probably about a month and a half, maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah, it started uh, right at the beginning of November. Right, right. Oh, so, so so, two months, and um, I, think, I think maybe you're about halfway through. I think it's 15, 16 teams, something like that. I think I might be at 14 working on 15. Okay. All right. I think. All right. So I'm just trying to establish the context uh, with which we're talking here. And, and, and I should say because of the holidays, it's been a while. Uh, it's been a while, of course, since you and I have spoken. You've done a number of lists in the meantime. In fact, I think the, uh, the large majority of them. So we will not be able to get after uh, every every name on every list in this podcast and uh well, I'll say it uh, ever. Is that all right? That's all right with you. It's going to have to be all right with the listener. Uh, it's fair. It's fair. Now, listen. Um, since you have a, a decent sample here, though, I'm curious. Um, I guess just from a methodological standpoint, I'm curious if you uh, find yourself making different choices than in the past. I know that um, prospect analysis is not a static, uh, a static endeavor. Uh, it is dynamic, and I'm, I'm curious if um, or what changes you feel like you've made to the way that you're uh, composing your lists, um, maybe making comments about prospects, ranking prospects, et cetera. Yeah, that's a good question because I, I guess all along I've basically been struggling to, to find my voice for these top 10, 15, 20 prospect lists, the different versions that I've done. When I first started out writing the the list, I was very stat-heavy in the way that I analyzed prospects. And then over time, I added in a lot more visual aspect to it. And then even more so in the past year, I've added in the, 
I guess, more contacts. I've added in contacts within baseball, scouts, front office people, which gives me an even better insight to the players. Um, so I basically melted those three aspects together. Instead of being very stat-heavy, I've gone to, to value all three uh, ways of analyzing and viewing the players. And I think it it's really helped the list become a lot more um, meaty this year, I'll say. Um, and a lot. I know I, I've had some compliments from people within the game that they really enjoyed the um, the choices that I made in, in the actual ranking of the players. So that's always nice to hear. Um, so yeah, there's been a huge evolution, and I, I'm sure the list still still aren't done evolving. It'll be a very different type of list next year as well. Now, um, when you say that you've you've sort of uh, perhaps we might say you're triangulating uh, more than you have in the past, or um, you know, looking at some different resources. I'm curious if you could think of any specific cases uh, that, that might illustrate uh, a choice you've made this year that might depart from one you would have made in the past. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, well, that's literally my job, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really the, the, only, the only thing I'm required to do. <laughs> it's true. Um, I'm, I'm thinking back to... I'm, I know that there's some in my head. Um, so I would say probably going back to some of the first lists I did, I know that the, both the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals, the people that I spoke with really helped shape my opinions of certain certain players. Mm-hmm. Because we as as fans only get to see a certain aspect of a player, especially minor league players even more so than major leaguers because – it's much harder to, to get a good view of them uh, because the games just aren't, aren't viewable for the most part. And if they are, they're in very small samples on like minorleaguebaseball.com or some people like to view them on, I guess, YouTube as well. So there's value in the small views you get, but then just the background you get on players when you talk to people who really know them, it really helps. So, I mean, I, I think I've touched on in the past, in a past podcast that – my view of Dan Vogelbach really changed in speaking with um, a very well-respected baseball person. There were some prospects in the Cardinals organization uh, where a similar thing happened. Um, in, in that case, it was speaking to a scout who just really knew the player inside and out, both personally and on the field. And it can really help to get an idea of what the players like, like, how motivated, how dedicated they are to the craft, what type of thinking goes into the way they they approach the game. It can really help you understand. So those are some very generic or basic examples of, of how it's changed. I'm reading right now uh, Nate Silver's book, uh, The Signal and the Noise. Um, on the one hand, I feel a little bit silly doing it. Um, because it's it seems to be the sort of book that is designed specifically for um, you know a baseball nerd to read. And on the other hand, I, I will have to say that um, it's a, it, it's pretty good and uh, uh, well documented. And uh, it's it he took it. I think uh, you know I I thought well I mean Nate Silver could just write anything, uh, and he would sell millions of copies. Uh, in fact, uh, he's he's written a good book. Uh, of course, uh, the uh, the title refers to um, you know a, a concept that's pretty central, uh, certainly to 
to um, what what occurs at Fangraphs, which is uh, in, in making any sort of conclusions, uh, especially so far as a forecast or, or a projection is concerned, uh, it's it's necessary uh, to consider what information is valuable to making that that projection and and what uh, is noise, what is what does not as valuable. Um, you know, we've been releasing Zips recently, and, and of course that's that's a very uh, stark example of that because it's all quantitative. But it, uh, also, uh, project or uh, prospect analysis is really is a, really a question of of signal and noise. Um, on, on the one hand, you know you're you're looking for things that uh, will uh, that equate or correlate uh, with with future talent. And I, I'm curious. You said you started with a statistically uh, more statistically heavy approach, uh, and that you've maybe uh, you've uh, you've slowly uh, rounded out your approach. Uh, but for you, if we're looking at it through this through this prism um, of the signal and the noise, what for you is is the signal, and then uh, what might be some noise that distorts it? I mean, you know, th- this is maybe a new way of asking an old question, but I'm curious uh, as to what as to if you know framing it that way, how how you might respond to that. Well, that's a I think a little bit of a difficult question to answer. There's there's definitely a lot of noise in prospect writing. I'll say, and I'm sure I'm guilty of it more times than I'd like to be. And one of the problems is that there's so many different types of players, and you can even you can even break it down as simply from hitters and pitchers. Is that one you know one way of looking at a pitcher? You wouldn't even consider that when looking at a hitter. So to answer your question, if I can. Um, the signal would be basically the, the tools, I would say, of a player. What it comes down to is most importantly, and probably something that it, that I missed most importantly early on in my list is just the value of, of the tools. Because yeah. with with statistics, I don't even know where I'm going with this. No, no, but here's the question. <laughs> now, do, with each tool, do you have a sense of this bat, this, uh, this player with this bat, right? He could be... Uh, you know he's going to be an average hitter with this bat, and that is worth. Um, and I know that uh, Brian Smith, who used to write for Fangraphs, uh, you know, used to project uh, certain players. He would look at certain players in this way, but he'd say, "Well, that's a bat that could be. It's going to be somewhere in the range of, uh, you know, maybe minus five runs um, relative to average, or or plus five relative to average, right? right? And then we say, well, now let's look at, um, you know." Let's look at the let's look at the glove, you know, and, and that's that's a combination of tools, right? That's range and throwing arm, say. Um, and you say, um, well, that's a you know that's a, he's going to be able, you know, maybe he's going to be worth um, plus five runs as a as a you know as a right fielder because uh, he's got decent range, he's got a good arm, and then maybe you could struck things like that. I mean, is it is that the, expressly the way you go about it, or is it? Uh, do you have a, a sort of a different way of, of classifying players and eventually coming to their uh, to conclusion about what their their overall futures might look like? Well, for me, it I, and I definitely see value in the way that that Brian kind of looked at it. I just think that players in general are so different that you can't really. And again, this is something I was guilty of early on: is you can't really take one approach and apply it to every di- every different type of player. So the way that I would view Nick Franklin of the Mariners and the way that I would view Jared Mitchell of the Chicago White Sox, 
may be completely different, and I'm going to look at them and analyze them in a completely different way. And we should say Nick Franklin is a uh, what he's a, a middle infield sort f- uh, for the Mariners, and then and then Jared Mitchell, I believe, is like a an uber athletic, uh, but also oft injured outfield type uh, for the White Sox. Is that that's right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it, it, the whole the whole idea is very difficult for me to to sort of explain, I guess, in the fact that I don't approach each player the same. So it all depends on, and, and that's why I go to so many different areas to gather my information through um, the statistical means, through my own eyes, and through other people's eyes and opinions. Um, I want to ask you about a specific example, and one that might, I think, reveal something both about your approach and also maybe about this player. Uh, today, we're, we're talking on Friday, uh, today you released the top 15 prospect list for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, the Brewers, really since, well, on the, on the one hand, since they graduated, you know, Prince Fielder, Ryan Braun, Ricky Weeks, J.J. Hardy, all about the same time. And then after that, uh, when they traded away Alcides Escobar and Jaco Dorizzi, uh, Lorenzo Cain, and, and Jeremy Jeffress, I think I think was the package uh, for Zach Grinke, those two sort of waves um, have uh, – created a lack of depth maybe in their system over the last two, three years. Uh, however, you know, they have some talent. Um, an interesting thing, though, on your top 15 list for the Brewers that you released today is uh, Jim Henderson, who uh, is a 30-year-old relief pitcher, um, comes in uh, as the fourth-ranked prospect on that, uh, that Brewers list. Now, um, on the one hand, I think it's. Uh, I think it would be fair to say. I think it's definitely fair to say that's an idiosyncratic choice. Uh, typically, when we say prospect age, you know, we're thinking you know something 27 or lower usually, and then uh, maybe even younger, like 25 or whatever. Uh, especially if it's going to be a, a fourth-ranked overall prospect. But I'm guessing that you also have. Uh, you know, I mean, you're putting together the list. You're looking at the players, and you also have to say, well, he deserves to be fourth in this. And so I'm curious as to, to what is it about Jim Henderson do you think um, allows him to be that high on your Brewers list? And also, you know, what, what sort of comment might that, um, might that be making, might you be making on prospect analysis or relative to the other lists uh, uh, that exists? So with the Brewers list and with the choice of, of Henderson, it, it, it was a difficult decision on exactly where to place him. Um, and definitely there's been some some talk back and forth about exactly why he ended up where he did, which obviously is why you're bringing it up. Um, The rationale behind Jim Henderson being at number four is a comment both on him as a prospect or as a player and also on the list in general. So I don't think it comes as a huge surprise to anybody that, as you kind of alluded to, the Milwaukee Brewers do not have a great farm system at this point. They have a number of very interesting players, but not a ton of people who really stand out and and look like future impact players, especially hitters. So the strength of the list, for the most part, is pitching. What it comes down to with the Brewers and with Henderson is that he may not have the ceiling that a, a few of the other players potentially have, but one of the things that's really come up recently in discussions on the Internet and in the media 
with the recent trades of people like R.A. Dickey and the proposed deal with Justin Upton is just how much value a pitching prospect really has based on the fact that they're so volatile. And the chance of them actually reaching the ceiling that we, we like to project them to have is very small. So you look at a player like Johnny Helweg or uh, Jimmy Nelson who fell below Jim Henderson. Eventually, they could most certainly compile more innings in the majors. They could have higher war. They could win Cy Young awards, or they may never make the majors. Jim Henderson has already reached the majors. He's already established himself as a major league caliber player. He has a fastball that exceeds 95 miles per hour as well as a, a wicked slider, which gives him the ingredients of being a high-leverage reliever and potentially a closer down the road, depending on what happens with John Axford. So because of that, because he's basically he's a major league-ready pitcher, and not only that, he's already at pretty close to or at his ceiling of what he's going to be. And what he's going to be, as long as you know his control and command is as good or better as it was in 2012, he's going to be a very good pitcher. He doesn't have maybe the high ceiling or impact that some of the others may have, but he's a really darn good pitcher right now, and that's why he's at number four. Right, and we could say, uh, I mean, obviously, uh, it's um, evaluating um, relief pitchers, uh, you know, in terms of um, in terms of dollars, or really in terms of how many wins they're producing, uh, is is difficult. There, there are certainly many conversations to have, so far as that's concerned. Uh, but even by WAR, uh, in only making um, uh, what is it about thirty uh, thirty something appearances um, last year? Uh, Henderson was actually quite effective. Uh, he, he was still he was actually worth a win uh, above replacement, which is uh, for a relief pitcher is pretty great territory. Actually, uh, that's not usually usually a, a figure you see, especially next to a pitcher who, um, well, certainly who started the, the season in the minors. But uh, you know that's that's when you started talking one or or one win or more. That's usually a guy at the back end of a bullpen. Um, now, how does it, how does that happen though? With that, that a pitcher like Jim Henderson um, can, for you know, six years, seven years, be in the minor leagues. Um, in, th- in this case, he was a member. It looks like uh, of the Nationals, of the Cubs, and then uh, finally ended up with the Brewers in, in 2009. How does it happen that he can go through so many organizations, be around for so long, and then finally make it right at the end of his uh, right at the end of his 20s? Yeah. So. I mean, Henderson's been around so long, he was originally drafted by the Expos and became a a national by default. So he's a perfect example of why teams never give up up on hard throwers. He could always get the ball up there, but he didn't always know where it was going. And, you know, like myself, he's a Canadian. So he comes from an area where they don't play year-round baseball like they do in, in Florida or California. So his his curve to become, you know, where he starts to where where he should be, it's a lot deeper. And it takes those guys, those cold-weather pitchers, sometimes a lot longer to, to reach their ceiling. And Henderson's a perfect example. If you look at his numbers in the minors, I mean, he had really high, really high walk rates. Um, and his strikeout rates for a guy who threw that hard 
really weren't that high, which could suggest to you that his command was really poor. His control wasn't awful. His, his walk rates weren't hugely high. They were high, but they weren't, you know, wild thing, crazy high. But his strikeout rates were lower than you expect from a guy who threw that hard with a guy who now has such a really good slider. So in looking back, you can be pretty confident in saying that he had poor command early in his career. And I'll be honest, I haven't I haven't read scouting reports from Jim Henderson back in 2004 or 2007, so I don't know for sure. But in looking at his numbers, it speaks very, very obviously to me that that was an issue. And you can also see he battled some some injury problems as well. And you add in the fact that again, he's a guy who came from a cold weather area that didn't focus on on baseball, you know, uh, 12 months out of the year. That's why you're seeing him excel this later, this late in his career. Similar to John Axford, who's also with the Brewers and is the closer there. He's another guy who grew up about an hour from me, who really bounced around a bit and didn't realize his full potential until uh, later in his career, at least later than you'd expect. And if he weren't there, Henderson would probably be given a lot more consideration for saves at this point. Is this a, it, well? I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but it, uh, I'm cur- I'm concerned that maybe what we're seeing is a is a Canadian bias in your list, at least for the Brewers. Is this a, <laughs> I knew as soon as I said that that, <laughs> that you were going to say something or someone else would say something. <laughs> yeah, a strong Canadian bias. Well, can, can I ask you, uh, especially in light of Henderson, I'd like to ask you about another player. Uh, you released uh, your list for the Detroit Tigers uh, right at the end of December. And second on that list is Bruce Rondon. Uh, now, Bruce Rondon is going to have – I believe that's how you say his name. It might be Rondon, but I believe it's Rondon. Uh, I, th- there are, I think, are s- some interesting uh, – it's interesting, I should say, at least, uh, to compare Rondon's and Henderson's situations. Henderson is a, a player who, uh, about whom you're optimistic, uh, having a good season as a major leaguer. Um, he's you know, he's going to be 30 years old, but he, you know, he hasn't uh, – uh, he's still technically a rookie. Uh, Rondon, uh, Rondon enters, in fact, his age 22 season, uh, is, uh, ranks second on your Detroit Tigers list. Uh, but entering his age 22 season, he's already be- being considered uh, for the Tigers' relief role. Um, I'm curious as to as to how you you know uh, how we might think of Bruce Rondon, sort of in the context of a Jim Henderson type character. Is this is this what Jim Henderson would have been if? Uh, maybe if he'd made some changes earlier on, if he'd been a higher draft pick, and uh, or in, you know in the case of Rondon, maybe it had a higher um, uh, you know a higher uh, bonus uh, paid out to him, uh, and therefore the the organization would privilege him in in the in uh, within their organization. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious about Rondon in the context of Henderson. Yeah, and and it is a little bit difficult for me to speak to this because again, I I don't have the scouting reports from Henderson when he was the same age, like 22. Um, but again, if we look back towards the numbers, Rondon has always had huge strikeout numbers, whereas that's not something that was part of Henderson's game when he was when he was younger. I I think that the noise that we hear about Rondon possibly being the Tigers' closer is I think it's just talk. I don't think there's any way that a playoff hopeful team like the Tigers is going to insert him in the closer role. That's either a way to bring down some value on the trade market or the free agent market for someone like Rafael Soriano, um, 
or they have something else in mind and you know maybe they just don't want the public to be privy to what that is at this point i i don't really know but you look at rondon and a year ago so in 2011 his walk rate pitching an a ball was 7.65 walks per nine innings so but i mean there's no way you should be anywhere near a major league roster when you're walking over seven batters per nine innings and it improved in 2012 but he still struggled with his command and his control, and he's he's basically a one-pitch pitcher right now, which is dominating people with a 100-mile-per-hour fastball. He doesn't have the the secondary pitch nearly as good as Henderson does. So Henderson's a more well-rounded pitcher at this point. He's improved his, his control, Henderson has, to the point where for a reliever, it's probably close to average. He's got, an, he's got two plus pitches, Whereas Ron Doan is a guy who's got one plus pitch and about less than 50 innings, I think, above a ball. So they're very different people at this point. Um, and again, Ron Doan's place at number two on the Tigers list is is a big statement as to the talent in the Tigers. Oh, right, right. More of a comment point. on that. You know, and it, it, you bring up the point about um, whether or not Rondon will uh, will be the closer. Um, I mean, certainly that's been that's been a statement made by um, uh, Dabrowski, the GM uh, in in Detroit. It, it is curious to me because really, uh, I, <clears throat> I haven't seen the, the Zips projections or anything like this uh, for the Detroit Tigers, but their bullpen, um, their non closers, they probably have some of the best. Uh, so I should say one of the best collections of high leverage relievers in the majors, uh, between uh, between Joaquin Benoit, who's been very good, between Al Albuquerque, who when he's healthy has been very good. Octavio Detel was excellent last year, and even uh, Brian Villarreal, uh, when he wasn't injured last year, he was also very good. And then Phil Coke, if you're reserving Phil Coke simply for lefties, is also very good. That's a very strong uh, bullpen, and in fact. Uh, all, if not most, or I guess, yes, all those guys were there last year uh, in probably the weakest the weakest relief pitcher, at least, uh, you know, the four or five that you would use in late innings, was probably actually their closer, Jose Valverde. Um, I don't know if it's maybe a strategy of the Tigers uh, to to put one of their weakest pitchers in the closer's role. Uh, that, would be a, that would be a strange strategy. Uh, but that seems to be the one that they employed last year. Yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with that. He... He wasn't very good. Yeah, he was. Uh, he he does have a funny shape, though. Uh, so at least he's amusing, I guess. Which um, I I don't know that that's necessarily what qualifies one for closing in the major leagues. Um, uh, but as a fan, especially one who had no vested interest in the Tigers, uh, I guess it made them pleasant to watch. It, it's true, and you know maybe maybe the Tigers are smarter than we are, and maybe they've decided that you know the closer, the ninth inning guy, isn't necessarily the most important guy. In, in the bullpen anymore, and there have definitely been people who have made that, you know, that that comment in the past that your best guy, you don't necessarily want to reserve for the ninth inning. It's when the most important out comes up, whether it's in the seventh inning or the ninth inning or the eighth inning. And maybe, maybe, or maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe the Tigers are starting to realize and take an approach like that, where they don't necessarily think that ninth inning guy is the most important pitcher in their bullpen. Yeah, it's certainly interesting idea. I mean, if they haven't said it out loud, and I don't think they have, uh, their actions suggest that that's the case. 
Um, I want to ask you also about uh, another player, um, and this will be the, 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 the third and I think probably last specific player um, about which about whom I'll ask, and that is uh, a middle infielder um, or, I guess, a non-first base infielder in the Orioles system, Jonathan Scoop, I believe it is. I believe it's Jonathan Scoop. Uh, Scoop has generally played at the same levels as Manny Machado, um, who, of course, graduated from the uh, Orioles system to play third base, to start at third base uh, for the team last season. Um, here's what I'm curious about with a guy like Scoop. You, you have him third on your Orioles list. Uh, he's been promising. Uh, I believe he had, uh, he, had a, um, uh, he had a pretty excellent Arizona Fall League. Uh, he's quite young. He was just 20 last year uh, at AA. Um, all promising signs. Uh, now, one thing about Scoop, though, is that while uh, he probably has – uh, has the tools to play shortstop, um, and I should say, if he does not necessarily always have them, he's had them to date. Um, he might grow, he might get bigger, um, slow down a little bit, but he's had the tools to play shortstop, um, and yet he has not really had the opportunity to play shortstop because he's been paired, or at least was uh, paired with Machado with some frequency. Uh, I'm curious as to how you go about assessing a player like that. Um, a, a guy who, um, despite the fact that um, he has the tools to play a position, is not able to play it because it's blocked. Uh, if that uh, if that affects or how it affects your assessment of that player, it it affects the assessment to a degree because it's lost development time at their their key position or the position where they're most valuable. So there's a little bit of it there, but if the projections there and if he still has those skills that appear capable of translating well back to his natural position, you know, I I don't think it has a huge impact. It it has a little bit of one, but not a big one. So with Jonathan, who I I thought it was Shoop, not Scoop, but, you know. I I want to say Shoop, uh, if only because I'm a Salt-N-Pepa fan, or at least uh, have previously (laughs) been a Salt-N-Pepa fan. So we could say Shoop, too, if if you're more comfortable with that. Maybe I've been saying it all, all wrong all along and looking like an idiot. You well, know, you're also a big salt and pepper fan. I think that uh, we have not <laughs> revealed that. But but uh, I know that um, routinely when we get on the phone, we, we'll talk for 15, 20 minutes about um, – You have, I think you have the greatest hits albums. <laughs> you're big – you like pepper better, I think, than salt. But um, anyway, continue. <laughs> I think I've totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> uh, uh, we're, we're talking about – uh, 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 Jonathan, yeah. we'll call him we'll call him Shoop for now, um, and uh, and uh, the sort of uh, I think um, right access to that position. But you said if he still has the tools, though. Yeah, if if the tools are there uh, and they're evidently there, then there's very little impact on him playing another another position. In fact, it, it could even improve his value because he shows the ability to play multiple positions. And as all we as we all know. Injuries happen, so to have that, that versatility there is extremely valuable. So you know maybe it actually improves his his value if you know as I'm thinking about it on the fly. Um, so I, it definitely doesn't hurt very much, and it may actually end up helping as long as this because the tools are evident, regardless of what position they're playing. You can tell by the way that their their feet work or their hands work or their range. You get an idea of how that's going to play at another position, if, even if he's not standing at that actual position. Right. And and how do you foresee, I mean, just with regard to, to shoot generally, 
How do you foresee that working out? Because as we noted, uh, he's been young for his levels. He had a good AFL. Um, I mean, not just the raw numbers, but also, you know, relative to his peers, which is uh, very promising, um, you know, given the fact that it seems like he could probably hold down, um, you know, some manner of uh, of infield position, you know, on the, on the right side of the defensive spectrum. Uh, you know, do you foresee him being an impact player with, with the Orioles? And, and I guess how even with, uh, you know, because Machado's still going to be around, they've given Hardy an extension. Uh, is he is he now the second baseman of the future because of that, or is he uh, more likely um, a trade candidate? The people that I've spoken to and what I've read is that the majority of the people feel that his future is, is probably still on the left side of the, in, of the infield at third base. Um, he's got enough pop uh, that he could potentially develop into you know a, a 15 or 20 home run hitter, if not a little bit more, uh, maybe down the road. Uh, he, he, the ball really does jump off his bat, so he could end up being the third base, third baseman of the future. But he could also end up being the second baseman of the future. It really depends on on Manny Machado. He's the he's the the better player of the two. So the most important thing is to get him placed on the field, and then kind of let the dominoes fall around him. With Jonathan shooting one of those dominoes, so I think he's probably capable of playing any of the three positions well enough to be competent and we'll know a little bit more as sort of time passes on exactly if he has the ability to be a plus defender at any of the positions but I think he has, he has the ability to be competent at all three positions and then his bat to me looks as though it's going to be above average definitely for shortstop or second base and potentially above average for or average or above average for a third baseman. So with those two things considered, you can see him at any of those positions and it really just again comes down to the domino effect of where everybody else ends up. Uh, one thing before we go here, Mark Hewlett, uh, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not, but I'm going to uh, anyway. Um, as we have done in the last couple of years, we will be uh, releasing this winter. Um, uh, even before pitchers and catchers, I think uh, we're releasing uh, Fangraphs Plus or FG Plus. It has previously been called the Second Opinion. Uh, however, it is though it's a sort of uh, um, uh, electronic publication, uh, a number of fantasy articles, um, and then it includes uh, I think like something like like a th- over a thousand player profiles. Uh, but I think you're writing at least one thing uh, for FG Plus, and I think it has to do with uh, prospects that might be of some use um, to to fantasy owners uh, this season is is that right? Or maybe you could characterize it more accurately. Yeah, you're right. I I did contribute um, a piece for the fantasy publication that that it will hopefully help um, fantasy managers out with uh, um, trying to evaluate the prospects and and who might be of value. In the coming year, so that's kind of what I focus on: is that is, is prospects and rookies to be who will impact this year. So it's not necessarily designed to help someone who's in a keeper league. It could, um, but it's for it's for all those leagues where they're looking for a prospect who might pop up and really impact their roster this year and have I want to say a Mike Trout effect. Um, 
that would be obviously no one's going to have a Mike Trout effect for right. probably another 20 years. Um, but someone who's going to give you value you weren't necessarily expecting unless you read this publication. This uh, very important and uh, and um, I think fairly priced publication. You mean? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what you mean. Well, you know, uh, typically I've uh, um, the last couple of years at least. You know, Saris and I um, have uh, engaged, uh, participated in a competition with each other, a challenge uh, where he would uh, take prospects. Uh, you know, top. Um, he would essentially field the team, field a fantasy team from the top hundred prospects, uh, and I would be relegated to prospects outside the top one hundred. Uh, and then we had a scoring system. Of course, I beat him this year. Um, you know, a scoring system I should say that takes into account uh, um, ADP as well, right? So you're penalized uh, at some level for taking a, a more um, aggressively drafted player. Uh, but players, uh, for example, like uh, Tom Malone and Zach Cozart, uh, did not appear on many top 100 or if any top 100 prospect lists before last year, and they they proved to be, uh, you know, pretty uh, valuable major leaguers. I will probably be composing a similar list this year uh, as a sort of response to yours. I don't know if it's a competition proper, uh, but, there, there, you know, there will be uh, – it won't be overlap so much as it will be uh, really uh, – our list might be in direct competition is what I'm trying to say. So I should be worried? Well, I um, I would say get your hackles up because I'm coming <laughs> at you, Hewlett, you know. Where I come from, you don't need 17 permits to get a gun either. You just <laughs> – you just uh, yell America out in the street, and, and you're given one by, like, a, a chamber of commerce, maybe. Uh, yeah. Does that, sound, does that sound like your vision of America? <laughs> something like that. Yeah, something like that. Well, listen, it's been um, it's been a charged conversation, Mark Hewlett. Fireworks um, have been exploded, <laughs> metaphorically. <laughs> I mean, it, it's uh, it's – it's been uh, it's been exhausting, right? Physically and mentally. Yeah, you've you've taxed my brain today, Carson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how we that's how we do it here. But it, it has been a uh, a pleasure to talk to you though, and uh, and I want to say thanks for producing your lists, and I uh, and I want to say I at least uh, look forward to uh, the remainder of them. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, well, let's we'll say goodbye to you. So thanks thanks for joining us, Hewlett. Thank you. All right. That is. Uh, Mark Hewlett, prospect analyst for uh, for Fangraphs, uh, do not hesitate. Do not hesitate uh, to uh, make your way to his various uh, top 15 prospect lists. Uh, I am Carson Testulli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.